Welcome to episode 74. Uh, I think I'm correct about that number of Motorific Podcast. I am here with my awesome co-host, Christy Farrell. I am Joanne Dawn, and we are thrilled to be back with you for this episode. We are going to get caught up. It's basically what we're going to do. Christy's going to tell us all about her epic travels around the globe. Okay, on the other side of the globe. And then she's going to report back to us about the AIM Expo, which is a very industry, motorcycle industry conference expo, but open to the public, right? Open to consumers Correct. as well. Today was the last day. So sadly, not timely enough to <laughs> um, forewarn people to be able to go out and experience yeah. uh, AIM Expo in Orlando. Different than a motorcycle show. Very, I would say very different. Uh, more catered toward industry, but fascinating. Lots of cool stuff. I hope maybe I can go next year. Um, we'll see. And then I, I went on a little ride today. I lost something. What else? <laughs> oh, I have to fly to California tomorrow. Good times. So we're huh? just going to get caught up really quick. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've already figured out what I'm most interested in as far as the conversation. All right. Well, I can't go uh, into details. All I can say is there's a family emergency and I got to uh, go home. I got to, not my home. I have to go to Southern California tomorrow. I get uh, in at 10 o'clock. You want to pick me up? Drive me, huh? Drive me north to uh, Oxnard? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So <laughs> the husband left two hours ago oh. and he's going to pick me up tomorrow. So I can't wait to have a burrito. (laughs) Bummer. If it was was today, I could totally... But the good news is I will be there all week. So the bad news is I'm not going to go home in December. Oh, I need to tell my parents that. Good thing they don't listen to this podcast. (laughs) So instead of going home, my home, I'm going to go hang out this week at the man's home and his family. Um, So I'm going to leave tomorrow. And then be back next Monday. Yeah. Um, but yes, I'm exci- I am excited about eating. <laughs> An having, authentic Southern yeah, California burrito. Some, yes, having some Southern California. Even in Oxnard, the Mexican food is wonderful. Because it's Oxnard mm-hmm. and there's lots and lots and lots of ethnic food there. I'm so excited for the weather. I think it's going to be like 75, you know. Wow. Yeah. How last minute was this? Like today at one o'clock. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I was, yeah, I was out riding. So the fun, the good news is I was out riding and um, I did a nice, just a short little hour and a half ride to brunch at this really great restaurant in Chad's Ford. And it's west of here by an hour. And so we took some fun little back roads. I found some cool new roads on Google Maps. It was really great. And then uh, we had a wonderful brunch at this restaurant called Brandywine Prime. So if you're a Philadelphian or a Delawarean, really nice ride to get there. And it's a wonderful little restaurant. It's not super fancy, but it's not a dive either. So they were very friendly to us. Even though we were all in motorcycle gear, they were like totally cool about it. So it was really nice. 20 bucks. I got a brunch brunch buffet and some pancakes. It was great. Mm, so pancakes. <laughs> it was good. Had they had a little little dollar sized little short stack pancakes, but they had a wonderful brunch buffet. Like it's not like the what you think of as a 
you know, brunch buffet. It was wonderful. Fresh fruit, they had mm. cheese and a salami, or not salami, but like uh, sopressata and Italian meats. And they had soup and salad. It was really good. I need, I need myself a good brunch buffet in my life. Right? Like they, when oh, you think God. of brunch buffet, you think of like Reno, two ninety nine, you can eat, <laughs> you know, breakfast buffet in a dirty casino. Yeah, sure. No, I mean <laughs> Vegas. Vegas has a varied, uh, varied offering. Yes, this would I would say a very small scale Vegas, but really tasty. Fresh food. They baked all the pastries they made. Ooh. Yeah, it was great. Even had real whipped cream that they made and whipped up. It was great. So did that. Thanks it was fun. For making me hungry. <laughs> the only bad, the only sad thing is it was forty when I left. So Ugh. it was cold. It was cold. Wow. I had my jacket liner, thank God, but my hands were numb because uh, I haven't put heated grips on this bike yet, and I don't know if I want <coughs> to. Bless you. So I'm not sure. Bless you. Sorry, I'm not good. sure if I want to put the grips on again. I mean, I want them because I love my heated grips, but it's such a chore on this bike. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll do a glove liner, a heated glove liner. I don't know yet, but it was cold. It's already 40 degrees here. But the upside is, I guess, tomorrow or Wednesday, it's supposed to spike back up to California weather, 70. But just this weekend, today and yesterday, it was like 40 in the morning. Like, what? And then we, we got there at 11, and it was 40 degrees. We left at 1. It was still 40 degrees. It just never got warmer. But it was still a nice ride. Like, found some fun little roads, cute little twisty roads. You know, nothing crazy, but just some fun little farm roads. And um, on the way home... When I got to like a few miles from home, there's this long little stretch of road called Kelly Drive. It's a very, very, very short, twisty road. It's like two miles long. There was a car crash. And um, it looked like a car veered off the road onto the right, onto the sidewalk, and hit a tree. And it was on fire. Yeah. And then in the middle of the road were two other cars. So maybe they like avoided each other or maybe he swerved and hit the tree. But it was on fire. And um, we were... I was in traffic and I pulled up to it and I thought, should I go around it? What if it explodes? <laughs> Maybe I should just go as fast as I can around, around the traffic. But I got around it. I was, and I'm assuming everybody was out. I don't safe. know. I actually saw a few people on the side by the car and they pulled, I think they pulled somebody out of it and they had a blanket on them. The fire mm. and police hadn't showed up yet. It must have just happened because by the mm. time I got down to the Benjamin Franklin Parkway, which is like kind of this main little... It's like where the rocky steps are. As soon as I got there, the police were hightailing it toward the drive. Yeah. I just hope. Well, that hopefully, there was okay. a, a comfortable distance in between <laughs> the rescued individuals and the car on fire. Yes. So that was exciting. So somewhere between the car fire and oh, I don't know, probably ten miles west, I lost the Garmin. It just it oh. fell off. And and not to say that it, I don't think it was the Garmin's fault either. I think that my tank bag was too close to the mount. So when I put the Garmin on cuz it's a pretty like firm clicky mount. Like you have to like snap it in really hard and it's secure. I think I didn't snap it in very hard and I think it just popped off. Oh. So the good news is it'll either be covered on my renter's insurance or it'll be covered under my visa protection services. 
Wow. Buy. I'm surprised that yeah. Visa has that kind of coverage. Well, apparently they do. So, huh. but it's contingent on your upon you not having coverage <laughs> through something else like renter's insurance or homeowner's insurance. Gotcha. So, if they don't cover it, then good news. Visa will cover it. You know, they did that nice. for me with a uh, hard drive that failed. It died within a year. Oh, and, they, wow. mm, and then they like paid me for it so I could buy another one. Mm, so That's right. I do vaguely remember we talked about that mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, so that was the highlight of my week, pretty much. Yeah, well, I kind of have a similar lost and found type story <laughs> oh, before yes. I get into, like, many other stories. What a great segue. Let's uh, hear about this. Yeah, so so usually when I travel and I'm going to be riding at my destination, I know we've talked about it before, LAX offers free motorcycle parking. Free? And to the extent that it's not just something that uh, two people talk about that it's actually documented on the LAWA, I think it's .org, uh, or no, it's LAWA.com, uh, mm -hmm. Los Angeles World Airports. And they actually have a page about it telling you, you know, you, you want to park here, avoid blocking any cars, don't park at a spot, mm -hmm. don't take a ticket. There's very specific guidelines that they set for you. So... Whenever I'm going to ride at my destination, I ride to the airport because it's free airport parking. I mean, who can deny the fact that you're in an actual terminal on the airport grounds? You're not off-site paying 10 bucks a day. You're not on-site paying like 25 or 30 Like, I don't even yeah. know what the going rate is for a car. Yeah. So it's very, um, very attractive for motorcycles. But I've, I've never actually parked there for like three weeks. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that... When I did India, I had a different setup. I took a Uber or something like what that. What did you do? Yeah, I don't remember so, you doing that. Yeah, I think I did that. So I um, took a picture of where I parked when I left. Yeah. And um, good job. And I had some. Once I got on the plane, I thought, uh, okay, I think I might not have parked in a place that I should have. Oh. It's not so much that I was against the airport standards, yeah. but. Um, I was in at the end of the parking row, you know, your your white line dividers. Mm -hmm. There is like a little five foot arched buffering zone that they've got actually drawn out. So if you can imagine like a half moon that's painted in white. Okay. And that's where I parked. Oh. Making sure that when the person in the spot, the actual spot next to me, when they opened their door, wouldn't actually hit my bike so they could get access to the car. Oh, I didn't okay. just block the passenger side. Yeah. So I parked there, and it's totally fine because there are other motorcyclists parked in the other ones, except this one was right as you're going up a ramp, which means that when you're coming down the ramp, it would be blind turning mm. into... Uh, turning right into the direction of where I parked my bike. So I was Ooh. kind of like apprehensive, like, oh, God, if someone takes this turn really hard, they could like um, head on wipe out my bike. So with the length of time and the fact that, you know, I'm friends with quite a few people in an industry that's constantly changing and moving and people are flying, I reached out on Facebook and was like, hey, is anybody going to LAX in the next couple of weeks? It could just take a peek at where I parked my bike and it was a private request because of course, um, I was social media silent on Instagram, which is public obviously because I, I was kind of apprehensive about where I was going. I didn't do a lot of research into like Moroccan culture. I was traveling by myself. I didn't really have a lot of social media stuff 
back in like 2007 when I was on the bike in uh, South America. So that wasn't an issue then. But um, I kind of didn't want to advertise to the public that I was going to be gone for three weeks because I didn't have a babysitter for my house. Hmm. And I, uh, you know, wasn't sure about country. Like I didn't want to post something and basically pinpoint my route live as I go. Mm -hmm. So I just decided to stay off Instagram altogether. So anyway, getting back to the the exciting story at hand, um, one of my friends who's a journalist uh, decided, yeah, okay, I'll I'll take a look for you. I'm like, awesome. So he checked on the 30th. I think I left on the 24th and the bike was still there. And then uh, when I had uh, finished my trip and gone lay uh, layover to Madrid, he texted me that morning before I was getting on the flight and said, hey, did someone pick up your bike because it's gone? Aww. And I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't uh, have anyone pick up the bike. Are you sure that you were in the right parking garage? Do yeah. you have a photo? You know, yeah. just the basic stuff. Yeah. And he had said, no, I'm I'm really sorry, but I'm absolutely certain that your bike is not there. And um, so, uh, long story short, you usually can't file a police report over the phone. You have mm. to do it in person. Um, and you especially have to have already stood at the spot that you parked it at and looked and said, okay, my bike is in here. Now, the distance between... When he looked and and first confirmed it was there and when he called and said it's gone was over a week. So I kind of didn't want to have my bike stolen in the wind for another five days before I was able to file a report. So I I had talked to L.A. Airport Security and they were like, nope, you got to be here in person. And then I reached out to um, Northeast Division and... They recommended some people I talked to locally in LAPD. And so I ended up, after this very, very nice police officer, uh, had a chat with him after he spoke to three different supervisors, was able to uh, rally to get a police report done over the phone. Mm. And he had said, I caution you, um, it is uh, illegal and, and a, you know, um, Arrestworthy. I don't know if it's a felony or a misdemeanor to file a, a false police report. So I reached out again. Are you absolutely sure? <laughs> this is like the last moment where you can say, you know what, I'm not too sure. Let me go back tomorrow and then, you know, we'll have this chat again. Are you absolutely certain that, that the bike is still there? Because uh, I could be arrested for filing a fraudulent police report. He says, yes, I'm absolutely certain. I'm sorry your bike's gone. So I said, all right, go for it. So insurance company, police, everyone's been notified. I think it probably had, like, the most comments on Facebook for any status ever. (laughs) When I said that, you know, if you happen to see my motorcycle in L.A., um, I'm not on it. (laughs) So please call L.A.'s finest. And uh, lo and behold, maybe two mornings after that, and I've already been through AIM Expo in Orlando on Media Day. So I've talked to quite a few people in the industry. Um, he texts me and says, I'm so sorry. <laughs> if uh, if you never want to talk to me again, it's uh, totally fine and understandable. But when I went back to take the picture, as I had advised, because I thought it might be a good confirmation uh, aspect of the experience, he said, I realized I went to the wrong parking garage. <laughs> Your bike is still there. <laughs> and I was like, 
Uh, it was two o'clock in the morning, I think, when I got up to go to the bathroom and just grabbed the phone. And I was like, we got to have this conversation tomorrow in the morning. But uh, loosely, you know, you will be going to the police station for me and you will be talking to the guy that I rallied three times over to file this police report and you will be explaining this stuff so that I am not met with a new set of bracelets when I come back. <laughs> and uh, and I was like, I'm not mad. Like, more people were mad about that bike being stolen than I was. I was totally yeah. casual about it. I'm just like, you know what? The worst part about this bike being stolen is that the emblem, uh, the BMW Rondell that's on the fairing was the original Rondell for my crash with the with the deer. Mm. I had taken the brand new Rondell they made me buy and I had oh. reattached the scratched one. Mm. So I had a perfectly clean fairing but a scratched Rondell. Oh. Just as kind of a memento. I'm mm-hmm. kind of weird like that. So that was like the most challenging part because as you guys know, I was thinking about selling it anyway. So... <laughs> So anyway, today, you know, I, I, I land and, and the bike's exactly where I left it. And everyone at uh, AIM was like, seriously, you got the bike? Because I had to tell people they were starting to post stuff in like social media. Like, hey, have you seen this motorcycle? Oh, well, everybody yeah. stopped doing that. I'm so sorry. Um, but uh, everybody at AIM was like, oh, my God, we're going to have a field day with this guy. Because, uh, <laughs> because he totally like. You know, and everyone's like, oh, my God, did he give you a heart attack? I'm like, no, I'm totally cool about it. I so feel really bad for him. Was because it like it was parking garage A and he went to parking garage B? Well, it was terminal parking garage four. And he, I think, went to three on mm. accident. If you've ever been to LAX, it's like a U-shaped. Uh, so all the terminals mm. are arranged in a U fashion. The base of the U is international. And as you plow along, all the middle of the U... So to the left, when you're going in an upside-down U formation, is where the uh, parking garages are. So he just, you know, oh. turned into the garage prematurely and was looking for it. Oh. But she was fine, and she was there today, and I couldn't help myself but take a picture and say, Oh, hi, fancy meeting you here. <laughs> um, it's just kind of a joke, and some of the editors chimed in on that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm... And, you know, I'm fine either way. It's it's a thing. Like, there are far worse things that could have happened. Yeah. I just had a great vacation, which I will tell you about. Um, and, uh, and you know, I'm in, like, my happy place. So it's going to take a while to, like, come down from the happy place high. Maybe that will happen tomorrow when I go back to work. I don't, oh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, but, but all I can tell you do is it. that... Uh, you know, I didn't build the thing. Uh, I didn't assemble this bike from scratch. I don't have, I guess, that kind of really um, pivotal emotional connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was kind of concerned with the how did things shake out in the insurance regard because I've never been through a theft. Yeah. So that was a little bit more like, a, yeah, ask me again when this is all over with yeah. and, and then we'll chat. But, you know, your bike sparked a whole, like, we should start a business conversation. <laughs> like. There's got to be a way to come up with a bike tracker that you can use on your phone that can oh, like, tell you I, where it is. And I almost think there's got to be something with Lojack because I know Lojack offers that kind of stuff. I'm just not willing so. to like put – I'm not willing to put money up front and then have a service per month. That's just – Yeah. That's really a tough call for me. And yeah. 
Anyway, um, so that was interesting uh, thing to go through, but you know, good to know. Um, and and I felt terrible for the cop, and I and I told you know him, please convey my extreme apologies because he was very helpful. And you know, so did he for file this one? Actual, yeah, I did for this actual mm. reason too. He's like, look, the reason why we don't do this is that you know if you're not there and you're looking at an empty spot or over the phone or whatever. Like angry husbands and wives always, you know, do this where they're pissed off at their ex, and mm-hmm. the ex has full, oh. you know, uh, full approval to drive or ride that particular vehicle, but they're mad at him, so they report it as stolen, and then that guy gets pulled over or that girl, and uh, gets arrested. So interesting. Um, so I, you know, and over the phone, I told the guy, I'm like, look, I'm not angry at my boyfriend. And actually, he'll be in Orlando. So. Oh, no. So there's no the risk um, to no. the boyfriend, like, riding a motorcycle <laughs> and getting clipped because, A, it's not his brand. And B, um, he'll be with me. So there's, you know, no oh, worries there. No. But, but anyway, so, I mean, good information to know. If if anything ever happens to your motorcycle and uh, and you're at LAX, you know, first layer of security of course is LA airport security and then after that it would be um LAPD Pacific Division. So long story short, also bike was fine. Um <laughs> there are different like if you ever do enter the terminal and you're, you know, going to park, the different levels that you go on, like for example, when I enter Delta's terminal to park, there is a huge area right behind the um the little arm that comes down that you kind of skirt around mm-hmm. on a motorcycle when you mm-hmm. go inside that you can park a motorcycle in terminal four, which is American airlines parking. Um, yeah, I would say Delta's terminal five, sorry, mm-hmm. but terminal four American airlines parking. When I did that, there wasn't space. And then as I'm cruising along mm-hmm. on the actual floor from, you know, departures, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of motorcycle space. My like, crap. Is it just this garage? Well, it turned out that on the very first ground floor, I think I was on floor three when you enter, mm-hmm. that there was a lot more space. So if you have the time and you're not rushing like I am at like seven o'clock before your coffee to find a space, you might want to try different floors and specifically like the first floor. Because if you're not mm-hmm. seeing a huge um, kind of shouldery area for motorcycle parking, it varies by floor in those different uh, terminal garages. But um, needless to say... Hopefully that's behind me. Um, I did go through lots of you know checkpoints on the freeway without any uh, any any people pulling me over. So uh, I think you know we're I think the BMW incident is behind me. Um, so moving forward into the trip, <laughs> why so you think, left the bike in the first yeah, place? Yeah, I think we kind of maybe covered this before, and maybe I was a little. Mm-hmm. Um, fast and furiously planning stuff, but you know I had. As, as you are well aware, uh, listeners, I had really planned out this great 40-day trip across the U.S., and I was going to keep yeah. it local for some time. And because I've never heard the word no, and so when I asked for that time off, I got the word no and mm-hmm. was like, whoa, okay, I've never actually heard that. What does it mean? Um, I tried to modify my trip so that it would be a little shorter so that I could still cover um overland expo because that was the whole reason why i was going to ride out there anyways that Mm. i was presenting at overland expo 
And as the Overland Expo time frame got closer and I couldn't find a motorcycle to buy out there because that was another facet of it is if I just buy in the Northeast, ride to Overland Expo and hit all my friends on the way down to AIM, I'll just, you know, park it somewhere, fly back, you know, ride for the weekend, get it closer to California, mm-hmm. fly back again later, you know, kind of progressively move it out. That was going to be the game plan. But... um as they got closer to inking the schedule for Overland, I did not want to screw them up. So I just said, you know what, go ahead and pull the plug on me. And and they ended up replacing me. And I ended up dodging a second weather bullet with Overland Expo. The first weather bullet was the May version that was out here, Overland Expo West. Mm. They had snow. In, when I would have been in a tent, they would have had snow. Ew. So that was the weather bullet I dodged when I went to Quail instead of, uh, instead of Prescott. And then the second uh, Overland Expo bullet I dodged was uh, getting shirking my responsibilities in the east where it literally flooded so bad that they stopped letting cars in. And it was just a huge mess. It was a huge mess. Overland Expo East just um, wasn't, wasn't what it could have been this year for a lot of miscommunication and uh, sadly some, some unbelievable amounts of rain in the Asheville area. Yeah. So... I'm like, oh, so I, so I dodged that again. But um, my time frame to be back has always been set at tomorrow. So as the 40-day went to like three weeks and, you know, closer, I started realizing I need to get out of this country and I need to take a trip because if I don't, I'm, I'm they're not going to let me go after the 19th. Like, this is it. So, you know, going back to my roots of just buying a ticket and having things kind of shake out as I go, I mm-hmm. was planning on backpacking and then went on Horizons Unlimited, found like four or five different um, recommended or we've been there, we've tried these guys, we've worked with them type uh, companies that do rental in Morocco. Hmm. Um, it's also possible to do rental in like the south of Spain, but in all honesty, with like the short time frame that I was chasing, I, I don't think that the cost would have been that much less, and on top of that, you would have had to have gone through the import-export process, uh, checking in after taking the ferry. So I wasn't mm. terribly uh, stoked about that whole, uh, learning that whole thing. I just wanted something nice and clean and neat. So of the five tour operators, one of them communicated in English a lot more than the others and also was upfront with a insurance and kind of a protection-ish program, if you will. I could mm-hmm. call the guy, be somewhere in the south, and he would help me figure out how to get the bike back if something happened. Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt most covered by him. Um, he also seemed to take pretty good care of his motorcycles. Nice. <laughs> um, so I decided to go with that. And um, so I picked two weeks there, and then I had a couple days in Marrakesh when I flew to Marrakesh and a couple days on the way back after I turned in the bike um marrakesh was just the point because that's where he was stationed at i think casablanca is probably a better place to fly into because it's their actual city like that's the casablanca that's the city to fly into (laughs) the biggest airport the biggest international airport the biggest hub marrakesh is actually much smaller which i mean you know we all know my geography is terrible but uh apparently my geography of 
Morocco is equally as such because I always thought Marrakesh was the capital city. It's actually Casablanca. So, mm-hmm. um, arrived and, uh, and I had basically something squared away through Airbnb actually, because Airbnb is reaching out into European cities. Um, it has here mm-hmm. in such that you decide as like a homeowner or a renter to open your environment to renting to someone mm-hmm. through their website. There, it's more of a, you know, we're a small Riyadh, we're a small hotel. Um, oh. We want to expand our brand. So those are the people that have locked on to Airbnb. Mm-hmm. And as they do marketing, it'll probably expand. But uh, 90% of the locations on there are small businesses already. So I already had the arrival hotel squared away and I had the bike squared away for two weeks. Um, but that was pretty much it. Like I had a list of cities I wanted to see that I've, you know, had interest in for one reason or another. Um, Marrakesh or, or Morocco specifically has always been a city or a country rather that I wanted to visit. Um, mostly for like an aesthetic appeal, when I was mm-hmm. younger, I mean, I've seen, everyone's seen um, Indiana Jones. <laughs> and they've used uh, Morocco a couple of times uh, as like a backdrop. So that whole aesthetic appeal of, you know, carved wood, wrought iron, um, walled cities, ancient cities, lots of color, spices, uh, markets, all that stuff kind of played into the romanticism of Morocco for me. And so given the fact that the plane ticket wasn't an arm and a leg, I went and booked that showed up, bought a map in Morocco so that I kind of wouldn't have the same problems as I did in India where, you know, you you hope that you can buy a map that has Arabic or the current language of the country with the cities and then maybe a translation beneath it so that just in case you run way out there where they don't translate into the English language that you're not going to be screwed when you look at this thing in Arabic and you look at your map, it's in English, and you're like, I don't know where I am. Um, but it turned out that, you know, the map was a pretty good guideline of distance for me. But the reality of it was is that it cost me 20 bucks to get a solid SIM card for the whole trip. Like five gigs of data and like 60 wow. minutes of national calls. And and it's very easy to get a SIM card, which <laughs> is its own hit and miss aspect when you compare it to India where you need like a background check. So literally, if you just hand over money, someone gives you a SIM card. And I think that kind of plays into the Fox News like mentality of ah, anybody can get a card and like communicate with each other. And so it makes things hard on the safety standpoint. Um, but anyway, uh, not really going into that necessarily. Um, got the bike in Marrakesh, uh, ready to go. Had my Kriga 30 liter bag. That mounted just fine to the motorcycle. I also had the Enduro tank bag from Wolfman. And uh, that purchase, very last minute, like, hurried, uh, was courtesy of Revzilla and uh, and Joanne's... Uh... For shipping over $40, everybody. Yeah, Joanne's <laughs> advisory. So... And Wolfman as well, because Eric was out. And so I'm like, hey, I'll just get it through Revzilla. It's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wolfman uh, Enduro tank bag has mm-hmm. a small footprint 
unlike the most majority of tank bags. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I was looking for a small footprint, obviously, is if I'm getting a Honda 200 or 250, which they call the Tornado, <laughs> more or less, like, it looks like a 250XL, um, electric start, all that jazz. It, it's got a small tank. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. officially know the specs of the tank. I will have to look that up. Um, but... Uh, you know, it's just a couple gallons tops. So you're going to have a very small area of which you're going to put a tank bag on. So the Enduro goes on bikes such as the WR250R because that's what Eric rides. And so I was interested in that because I wanted something to easily access my camera equipment. So what I did was I got that Enduro tank bag, um, universal setup, not uh, metal uh None of that, because I know that most of the tanks I personally encounter are plastic. Yeah. Um, I put a, a one-inch layer of foam back when Joanne and I first started. There was all kinds of advice over how to bury your microphone in, like, a foam box. And so I had foam left over. And so I cut out a, a one-inch layer, and I lined the bottom of the tank bag with it. And then I put my camera, which was in a neoprene case, as well as uh, a separate lens. So I had a wide angle, and then I had a fairly standard mid-range lens. And so literally the camera and the wide with the mid-range and the foam and a map fit in that tank bag. I told Eric, I was like, one more inch would have been awesome. Um, that tank bag was just really like pushed to its capacity on that with the foam in it. But the, the bag worked out great. Um, I will have a review of that. And so I had that set up. The Krieger set up. Krieger's been on, I think, five or six different motorcycles. And I really vary the spectrum of the bikes that the Krieger bag has successfully been put on. So I will have to do a, an official review of that, too. But um, thank you, XR Tornado. Mm-hmm. So cute. had the setup, ready to rock. Guy's super nice. Took some photos. Started going through Marrakesh. It was the day after a huge festival, so the town was actually very mellow and quiet. There weren't a lot of tourists and people in the street. So took off, and by the time I was getting outside the city, um, the guy that dropped off the bike, by the way, lots of French, not a lot of English. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy that I've been communicating with was not the same one that dropped it off. Mm. That's totally fine. <clears throat> so as as I'm getting outside the city, I look down at the digital readout and I see that it says zero. <laughs> and I was like, well, shit, that's not good. So zero kilometers per hour was my speed and the total uh, trip distance was zero and the total accumulated kilometers <laughs> was also static at whatever 20,000 kilometers that the bike currently had. Oh, no. And and this is not new for me. I've had this experience before. They put new tires on this bike before they delivered it to me. So bless their hearts. I had a brand brand new fresh pair of like knobbies to travel with. So that was awesome. And the bike was literally like a, apart from someone dropping it and having some very light scratches on the fairing, the bike was pretty much immaculate for twenty thousand kilometers. And uh 
And so when I was in South America and I was in Venezuela specifically, there were so many potholes in the street that it was literally like trying to, if you're taking a slice of Swiss cheese and looking at the holes in it, it's like trying to navigate at a certain speed around all those holes in the cheese. At some point, you're just going to end up hitting a pothole, which I did Mm -hmm. in that country. And uh, long story short, I went to a guy on the side of the road. Hand, he hand-hammered the rim back together again, mm-hmm. put the motorcycle together, put the front wheel together, and proceeded to break something that the uh, that the, the Liverpool, the mechanic, the motorcycle mechanic from Liverpool that I had traveled with and on and off told me it was called a shim. Um, kind of makes sense, but that's not the specific part name. If anyone wants to chime in on that, I'm more than willing to... Uh, to amend my speech moving forward but this thing basically tells the motorcycle how many rotations in the front tire is occurring and that translates to speed and distance and uh there you go so Mm -hmm. i rode in that country without any knowledge of how far i've gone or how fast i was going and that's probably not really an issue except when you have such a small tank like that and you don't have a tank dial or readout of when you start getting dry then your issue becomes you need to make sure you know how far you've gone in order to know when you need to fill up so i haven't even essentially left marrakesh yet and i've already realized that i'm gonna have to pay a special close uh attention to how far i've gone but you know what that's just manageable i can handle this um i'm maybe a little concerned that I don't know how fast I'm going because when you go from like an 800cc motorcycle to a 250cc motorcycle you can't feel speed in the same regard like I could probably estimate how fast I'm going on an 800cc BMW without the readout but when you go to something that's a a third of the size and in kilometers no less it's just (laughs) like forget it like I'm just going to go the speed of everyone else so I didn't want to stop my trip. It wasn't worth worrying about. I was going to see a mechanic halfway through the trip, and maybe he can fix it. Maybe it was just a function of they didn't break it, and it just didn't reconnect it. Um, Sadly, that was not the case. So I went the whole trip on zero kilometers and then zero speed information. So I'm going to have to hand tally through Google Maps uh, what the deal was with my my total trip distance. But anyway, um, with that SIM card, you can... You know, if you have your AT&T phone, your iPhone, as I did, and it's fully paid off, AT&T will unlock your phone for you. You just request it, and it's a function of uh, software. And I can pop out my AT&T SIM and then pop in the Moroccan SIM. Well, the benefit of having a Moroccan or a local SIM card is that even if you don't use the internet or anything like that, your Google Maps app will have the satellite connectivity to tell you where you are. So Google Maps, believe it or not, as I've discussed before, has pretty decent coverage in India and has actually Hmm. really good coverage in Morocco. Because underneath the clear tank bag window... I would set my phone to not uh, auto-lock and to stay on, and I would have the location device on when I was going through some of the Medinas because I am literally in, like, I think it was uh, the third installment of Indiana Jones where one of the gals got stolen, or maybe it was in a different one. But anyway, 
you were in like a marketplace and there's uh, hundreds of people walking by this narrow alley and you've got like shoes for sale and touristic stuff for sale and um, fruits and nuts and dates and all kinds of weird stuff and people everywhere and I'm literally on a motorcycle plowing through this tiny little area looking down at the phone and they actually have the Medinas plotted out so the walled inside the walled city was where my some of my hotels were so I would be and and I'm not even saying blasting it was literally like zero kilometers per hour because there are people everywhere and Mm -hmm. you don't want to hit someone with a hot pipe and you're it's, it's total stressful but Um, they actually got me to within a fair distance of where the hotel was. And, uh, people usually would stop and say, Hey, do you need, you know, help? Mm -hmm. Um, it didn't always happen in English. It usually happened in French. (laughs) So mm, I learned a little French when I was down there. Nice. But, uh, anyway, so that was helpful getting in and out of cities, having Google maps to cover you. And, uh, yeah, I mean, sorry, I'm kind of like all over the place. Literally, I flew in to Spain on Tuesday night, flew out of Spain on Wednesday morning, flew into Miami and went through customs, then took a short hop to Orlando where I was at AIM Expo, and then I literally left today at Mm -hmm. 7 o'clock, but I was up at 4.30 in Florida. jet lag. Flying out here and then landing around like... 10 o'clock in the morning uh east west coast time so my time zones are all over the place it's uh, a little dicey at best (laughs) um i probably need three days really to like put my brain cells back in order but um you know we wanted to give you guys some content so i'll keep it you know (laughs) scatterbrained scatterbrained yet fast and loose um all right bottom line about that country is that uh they couldn't be happier to see an American Hmm. and beyond that couldn't be happier to see an American female traveling Mm -hmm. and much like my experience traveling alone in South America cops random people everyone oh my god you're traveling alone (laughs) which (laughs) always for a second makes you a little unsettled like yo I'm in your country like are you trying to tell me something (laughs) um should I be concerned about this but uh you know I had no idea what to expect like literally Morocco has been a, a on the bucket list as a as a city in a in a or gosh why do I keep saying that Marrakesh has been on the bucket list Morocco as a country has been on the bucket list for a long time and and I and I, everything happens so fast if you gauged two episodes ago before Elisa jumped on board in my absence I was just so overwhelmed because uh, I was working extra hours and still trying to make this trip happen so needless to say um the the fast and loose adventure of just getting a bike and showing up and getting a map and making it work and happen on the road uh definitely was uh totally fine for this particular trip um I spent 2 weeks literally going all across Morocco um all the way up to Shafchaou in, in the north and all the way down to the um Algerian border I think that's uh what I was looking at when I was out in the desert. So lots of cool stuff happened along the way. The Rally du Maroc. Um, I'll research that a little bit and we'll talk about it the next podcast because I'm sure I'll talk about things progressively as we move out. Um, the Rally du Maroc was something that I ended up like being in the middle of. Uh, I sh- 
entered a desert city and saw a bunch of Red Bull kitted rally bikes and was like, whoa, what's going on here? Um, and then ended up looking up in a cafe while having coffee that there is a actual rally kind of like the Dakar rolling mm-hmm. through Morocco. And they were staging in the city that I was passing through and getting my bike checked at. So I, you know, I not really having a set schedule, I kind of put something up on Facebook and, you know, as luck would have it, like quite a few people had actual like, you know, one degree connections of guys who were racing in it. So that could have totally been a part of the, you know, ADV Goddess Does Morocco plan where I actually follow the Rally du Maroc, which would have been awesome. It went from Zagora, which is in the southeast in the desert, uh, over to Agadir, which is a a major city on the uh, major city, major port city on the west coast. But, um, you know, I just kind of listened to the gut as I was going on, and my gut said, hey, you know, uh, you're on this trip for you, so let's, uh, let's keep plowing north. So that's what I did. But uh, I definitely think going back there and checking out that rally and uh, doing some stuff would be interesting. Um, Rallies in North America, we have American participants, but uh, we don't actually follow the Dakar very closely. Um, I know there are some people that do, but on like a national scale, it's just not something that we do. And my only exposure to the Dakar rally is Sean Thomas with Rawhide because they offer a tour where you can follow the rally in South America now that they've you know moved it from the African continent. And I have no concept of what happens in a rally. I know we've kind of discussed this before in the podcast. So I'd be definitely interested in following that as a journalist. But I would also need to ramp up my photography skills. So that was one of the reasons why I chose to just go my own path instead of follow that kind of opportunity. Because there's no way I could have come up with the photography necessary to really like make a great story out of it so i continued on my path went up north and um needless to say treated so well on this trip i can't even begin to hammer down how affected we are by media and by reporting and coverage of many other countries on this uh <laughs> How it's how affected we are negatively um, by by media reporting and and I think I kind of hammered that home with India and and I'll definitely hammer it over tenfold in uh, in Morocco. So these guys were more than willing to accommodate me more than in the U.S. more than in India. Like I I just couldn't believe it. Like I was floored the whole time. I was not threatened at all, not not in the slightest. I think, you know, there are some guys in Marrakesh that hit on me, but, I mean, come on, that stuff happens everywhere. So uh, that was nothing out of the ordinary. No one followed me. No one, you know, tried to put a dagger in my back for a camera like they did in Brazil. So I, I'd just like to, you know, in, in closing, and I'll talk some more about Morocco in future episodes because we're burning lots of Christy talk on and on and no Joanne. Um, well, you still have to tell us about Amexpo, so there's still yes, more to come. Yes, it's true, but we can jointly <laughs> talk about that because it's, you know, stuff that we both are familiar with. Yeah, it's just that, um, you know, uh, I I love traveling. I love seeing the world. I, I love to look at that as a vehicle to bring back to friends and family and people in the States that 
these people are awesome. Don't listen to Fox News. Don't listen to mainstream <laughs> media. Um, yeah. The State Department issues warnings all the time for stuff, and it's it's a liability thing. It's um, you know not wanting have to be on full disclosure mode in the government to let people know that yes, there is a risk, but um, you know we can't quite quantify it. And a lot of times that the risk that's out there is just so so minimal, and there are very few places that. I would not be willing to travel. Um, and usually that's like Afghanistan and Iraq come to, to mind, uh, Syria right now as well, as places that I wouldn't want to go just because, you know, our country is essentially at war um, and still. So Morocco, total surprise. The people were amazing. I don't think I've ever been tweeted, tweeted, treated, blah, 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 <laughs> treated more like a queen traveling by myself than in that country so anyway look forward to piecing you guys into more of the journey um i will be writing that up so i i won't necessarily get into too many details until till we kind of hit print on that but that that will be a, a article in a magazine so i gotta work on that right away um when i was at aim i shopped that out so um and rolling into Orlando, um, I did, by the way, and I can say it wholeheartedly, I ate my way through Madrid. I literally arrived at night on that layover, went straight downtown after a shower, and went through so much food, a single person shouldn't even eat that much. I woke up the next morning, I think I got home at like 12 midnight, and I had to be out maybe at like 8 o'clock the next morning. I think I woke up at like six in a similar fashion as you do when you are drunk and you go to bed and you still wake up drunk. I woke up full. <laughs> like I just ate so much food. It was ridiculous because I love Spain. So anyway, um, landed at uh, Orlando. And AIM Expo, as far as their media day, we... Not quite as, as structured with OEM, 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 back-to-back. -back. It was a little bit more like, you know, OEM, Revit, a couple of different uh, releases and launches. The OEMs, actually, that we had there were um, few and far between. Hmm. Like, it's still, after in its third year, it's still a relatively new setup. Yeah. Um, Honda had presence there. Suzuki and Yamaha had presence there. Kawasaki had presence there. BMW. But, um, you know, a lot of the smaller brands, if you will, Triumph, for example, Royal Enfield, mm -hmm. um, were not there. And uh, I did see KTM and Royal Enfield brass walking the show, uh, determining probably whether or not they want to invest in mm -hmm. next year. And with the... Now, knowledge that the MIC has purchased AIM Expo, um, it, it does bring a lot of curious mm -hmm. questions mm -hmm. as to how the IMS, International Motorcycle Shows, are going to pan out in the future because it is something that AIM has wanted to do is take their shows on the road. It's mm -hmm. not something that you can do overnight. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of planning. And uh, Cinnamon, I think, did a really great job putting things together um, with being the coordinator at, uh, at AIM. So the couple of presentations that were kind of, um, releases, new information, 
if you will, was the CBR500R for Honda. They've rebooted that motorcycle, made quite a few changes to it. And um, it's actually a nice looking bike, like mid-level. It wouldn't be the first motorcycle that I would run out and buy just because I personally want to try the 300 or at least do a couple of track days on a 300 first. But um, excellent looking mid-range. Like that, that bike looks pretty strong. We There's no no idea when the press launch for that will be. But um, they've done quite a few things as far as... Uh, as far as technical approaches to it and changed some of the fairing, made it a little bit better in the wind buffeting department, um, changed some of the suspension so it's adjustable in the front. Um, lots of little tweaks and whatnot, and once they get that uh, press on squared away, the rest of the world will um, hear feedback as to you know, how, that, uh, how that bike has improved. The Africa Twin was not at the show. Hmm. They did not have that, That's which was exciting. kind of surprising Everybody's a waiting. Bit. We're all waiting. Yeah. And uh, Kawasaki um, has has rebooted their ZX-10R, which is like their ninja leader bike, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's CC. Yeah. Um, they also have the 600, 650 uh, ninja, like yep. this ZX-6R, is it there's called? There's the ZX-10. Well, mm-hmm. yes, there's a 6, the ZX-6. ZX and the Ninja 10. 3. Uh-huh. And the ZX-14. Oh, uh, yeah, the big one, too. The Ninja 650, the the ER-6N, which is the naked Ninja 650, yeah, the Ninja 300. Quite a, yeah. quite a bit of the Ninja going on there. Oh, so, yeah. so they've it's rebooted the ZX-10R to be a, a competition with uh, the R1, so to speak. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of chatter about uh you know getting the ZX10R which hasn't which was soft launched and then soft launched again at this show and has not had its official press launch which is coming up in Malaga shortly. So I'd say within the next month you should start seeing um bike reviews on the ZX10R cuz they're going mm-hmm. out to Malaga and going out to to race at the track out there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, um, lots of tech, lots of uh, race tech going into that bike. Uh, not as much as the R1M with the tablet interface where you can kind of uh, take a look at diagnostics so much, but um, there is some some Bosch technology that they've incorporated on there, similar to KTM doing the anti-low-side tech um, there is some Bosch tech on that bike. Um, lots of lots of improvements. Uh, just off the top of my head, um, we're probably going to have to plow through this at another time frame where I can we'll read links. my notes. Yeah, we'll post some story. But links. Um, a lot of a lot of tweaks done to that bike. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out with the R1, especially in like. I don't know if they have the R1 in Superbike. I know we had the R1, obviously, in Moto America. I don't think anyone was... You know, that's a new bike, so it wasn't running in... Um, I think it's running in Superbike. It's it's not running in Moto America. Mm-hmm. Now that they've rebooted, maybe that'll change next year. But um, needless to say, they've brought that bike forward. There were a couple of side-by-side uh, releases that they were discussing. And then 
Um, apart from that was uh, Yamaha's DT-07, which stands, I think, for Dirt Tracker. Mm-hmm. So they've taken the FZ-07 engine, and that's pretty much where the similarities stop. Um, they've taken the FZ-07 engine, removed it from the chassis, developed an entirely new chassis, an entirely new body, and uh, made it into a Dirt Tracker. With the uh, And it was a total one-off custom. This is not any indication of a bike that will be available in future, uh, in future Yamaha markets or production whatsoever. Um, Jeff Palahi, and I think that that's the appropriate pronunciation of his name, is uh, is familiar with the Yamaha brand and has his own kind of company as far as uh, design and custom motorcycles. And he probably has the most visibility as far as restoration. If you go to Quail and you happen to have noticed a grouping of Yamaha race bikes, vintage Yamaha race bikes that were pretty much like 99-point restoration. Those were his. He won some awards at Quail. Um, so he's been in the business for quite quite some time, and he was bouncing ideas off of one of the uh, product managers at Yamaha, and they decided to just go ahead and put this bike together as kind of a test. So totally different chassis. Um, set up with the 60th anniversary livery of the white, yellow, and black. And uh, we'll post photos, of course. I will post quite a few photos from AMAX Bow, but uh, that was a pretty pretty snazzy motorcycle there. Um, now, obviously not doing any tests of that bike because the only bike in its existence, but for the amount of questions that people may ask on it or inquiries, maybe it's a possibility in the future. You just never know. Um, similar to Roland Sands doing that one-off, uh, one-off victory, um, for Pike's Peak. Hmm. So, um, I guess those were the, the major things. Lots of, uh, couple gear brands that I had never encountered before. Joanne, before we were talking, uh, before we started recording on this podcast, Joanne and I were talking about them. But uh, IXS is a company that I had a brief chat with, and and we'll discuss a little bit more as Joanne and I have kind of looked over their resources and and actually have something to talk about. I tested, tried on a little bit of their gear, and uh, you know, as far as leathers are concerned, the leathers are pretty solid because that was probably the first time in a long time that I've put on a leather motorcycle jacket and actually had a lot of resistance bending my arm because the leather is so thick. So it's uh, it seems like a quality jacket. We'll take a look at stitching and other particulars and, and update you guys in a later episode. But um, you know, quite a few, uh, but good Quite a few um, different aftermarket apparel accessory brands, as opposed to I say good as opposed to IMS, where you have the trinket sales. Well, where you walk into an entire section and it's stuff so that you would just never buy. One huge difference between Amexpo and the motorcycle shows is the fact that almost every major apparel brand shows up at this show. Major vendors show up. CD has a booth. Revit has a booth. These are companies that actually present themselves 
not right not just a dealer who puts up a little booth with a gv box in it or Mm -hmm. whatever because the thing with the motorcycle shows is it's all on the expectation of the dealer or the 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 store to spend the money to put the product out and display but this is a little different because it is more industry oriented for um, industry folks to see these products and then maybe you know maybe you are maybe you have a store say you have a store in Philly or something and you want to find new brands to bring into your store this is where you would go or you're a big ginormous online store and you want to see what other new companies might have come overseas or something so it's definitely more industry oriented in that sense but consumers can go too um, you know, on the regular days, they can go and check stuff out. So if you actually want to see product from brands, the AIM Expo is where you want to go. But the problem is it's in Orlando. It's only once a year. It does not travel. So you have to go to it, yeah, hopefully until they um, are able to make a traveling version or make different cities, which yeah. I'm sure a lot of people would go the to. The floor space to me felt like you could put three IMS so displays at least long beach which should have a pretty good footprint right but like three of the long beach footprints into the am expo space. go into a booth say you go in the revit booth you can't just buy stuff there though like no. the booth is not there for you to buy things as a consumer like i need a new jacket that's not what it's there for so there's an upside yeah. and there's a downside for a consumer it's not for shopping sure that's why it's a little different but still neat to go check out yeah, um, right now the people who are funding the individual space in those booths, as Joanne said, is the actual manufacturer and not the manufacturer pushing the cost over onto a local dealer who will hopefully recoup his costs for the space yeah. through sales. Um, that's how IMS is mostly driven. Mm-hmm. And Climb actually wasn't there on an official uh, scale. Mm. They did not have a booth, but I did mm. talk to Jason, who's the product line manager, and we had some nice chats over uh, over their gear line and, and their revamped uh, women's gear line, which is going to be available in spring of 2016. Mm. So um, look looking forward to uh, taking a look at some of their product as uh, we progress. But uh, Schubert... Um, Schubert had a booth, mm-hmm. and uh, Bell and Scala, and you know the list goes on. There are some pretty uh, solid uh, companies that yeah. were there and had some manufacturer presence, which is you know not what we're used to at IMS. So it was, uh, I, I think it was a pretty solid show. Um, there are some organizational things that I think could have been improved. And, you know, this is just its third year and it's such a massive scale that it's probably very difficult to, to kind of get like flow in between um, one group to the next. Mm -hmm. I think it was a little bit overwhelming. There was a book available, but I think Hmm. having like a, you are here, kind of like the way the mall organizes their stores and whatnot. What? They didn't have a floor map? They did in some of the stuff they were handing out to people, but it was a book. Whereas Hmm. I would like to just wander the show without carrying stuff Hmm. and kind of walk over and go, oh, okay, here's the floor map. That's cool. Now I know where I'm going. 
it was all in numerical order and the booths were numerically spaced. Hmm. But um, because the space is so big and sometimes you can't see the manufacturer's logo like close to the ceiling, hmm. I was like, I don't even know where BMW is. I can't see anything. Well, wouldn't it be in the <laughs> but, book? Like the Yes, um, it was in the book, but I didn't grab the book initially. Um, I see. So you're complaining because you didn't have the book. <laughs> if you had it, you would be able to see where you're going. I didn't even know. <laughs> That there was a that's, map in a book. That's how ICMA is laid out. They have yeah. to have a book because there's thousands of So books. many people, yeah. But it's great because you flip to the brand you want, you look up where it is, and then you see the map. Okay, where is it? Ideally, they should have an app. Huh? They should have a little yeah. iPhone app or an Android app with all the content. So you pick your phone up, be able to figure out where you are based on the map, look up the brand, click over to that brand's booth. It should all be in an app. Yeah, but. and I mean, they they actually, they might have had an app. The problem is that I was receiving so many emails and I was traveling um, for two weeks prior to this point that, uh, you know, unless there was a dedicated email that said, this is our layout, this is our updated schedule, um, I, I wasn't going to get it. So, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a little overwhelming with having some manufacturers spread out and then kind of everyone else jammed mm-hmm. in. But mm-hmm. the booths were numerically set up, so that's a little bit different than IMS. It's a little bit easier to follow. If you know it's 750 and you see 800 and 700, yeah. you're somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to, like, some future iterations of that show. Uh, I, I really think that, you know... Um, They've got an amazingly uh, solid platform to build on. And their outdoor space was pretty crazy. I went out on the last day that I was there to explore, which was yesterday, Saturday, mm-hmm. just to check out the demo areas. And oh, they, they had have... demo rides? Oh, absolutely. Oh, cool. Um, and so for Florida, you know, different to how kind of California is, lots of four bo- lots of uh, ATV, quad, um two by two kind of setups so you could test all of that merchandise like Can-Am, Polaris, uh, Honda, Suzuki, Yamaha. I don't, BMW didn't Honda? have a test. Honda has a demo fleet now. Uh, I thought they might have. Wow. Because they, um, they haven't had a fleet in a long time. It might have been different craft. It might not have been motorcycles. I'll have to check that out. But, um, I was just kind of wandering around and taking a look and kind of gauging, like, you know, interest because that Saturday was when the, it was essentially the first day of consumer, consumers coming to the event. And I can tell you that one of the shots that I took of the parking lot where there was free motorcycle parking, Mm -hmm. it was just sick how Mm -hmm. full this parking lot was. I've never, I've never seen IMS hit a capacity in motorcycles alone on that. Mm -hmm. So it was good seeing that, you know, and it would also be great to see a metric as far as how far people would travel. Mm. I had heard someone say that they talked to a guy from Miami. So Miami is a pretty six, eight hour drive Mm -hmm. from Orlando. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cool that way to hear, you know, how how far people went on, on two or four wheels. But uh, as well. well as whether or not someone's flown in that's outside of the media spectrum. Well, Revzilla flew in. That show. <laughs> not me, but I know folks from Revzilla well, yeah. are there. But that was on a business perspective. True. Um, I, I'd like to hear how far people travel on a consumer level. Mm. 
So, yeah, I think there's a lot of great potential with that show. And now that, you know, MIC is also anchoring it, um, that that'll be interesting to see Mm. how things move forward. Um, Mm. I can tell you that, you know, the American V-twin market, apart from custom, was definitely not represented. S&S Cycle was the only V-twin, I think, group, really, Mm. that that put a presence out there. Well, because there's the V-twin show. Sure. Yes, that's so. you know, and I think right now, uh, if they're gauging consumer interest, like they're already a part of IMS, and they're already you know present at IMS. Mm-hmm. Is this worth an extra expense until you know something happens to where the traveling motorcycle show no longer exists, and then it's all aim? I mean, there's still that kind of like. Well. Amb- the motorcycle show is also very different people very different people and a very different organization and there's a lot of like drama around that i think personally i think the motorcycle shows are horrific and that's you know it's a combination of having worked them for so long and then seeing them decline every year into just crap and (laughs) not having not being able to do anything really productive in the short time that i was there it's just the the structure, the peep. I mean, just all of it. That's why I haven't done a show in four Joanne years. Joanne won't be applying for the media credential, but I will. Uh, I mean, I'd, love to, um, I'd rather go to an AIM Expo. <clears throat> yeah, you yeah, don't have to so apply. They'll beg you to come. They'll beg everybody Until to come. there is a more defined, I think, approach is to path forward for AIM, AIM traveling or IMS traveling shows. I don't think you're going to see the V-Twin market go to Orlando anytime soon. Probably not. Um, also because uh, Harley is not a part of the MIC. You mm-hmm. know, how the MIC taking over changes the dynamic as well, too, will be interesting. So, at any rate, enough of the political here nor there. Um I think that's pretty much all I've got for this point. I haven't even caught up on news, but I can tell you that uh, one of the reasons why I didn't get any sleep last night is because we were watching MotoGP in the lobby. So mm. <laughs> I'm I'm with uh, with a large group of people that we got back from the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and that would ran to like 11 and it was past any sort of food reservation potential that we might have had to have gone out to eat a proper dinner because it started at six. Hmm. So we came back to the hotel. They set up the MotoGP, um, Phillip Island, right? That was where it was, Hmm. uh, in the lobby and we ordered pizzas. (laughs) So we were eating pizza, watching that. And it was, um, by all accounts, a real MotoGP race. Mm-hmm. If you if you even watch those or have the program to go back and look at that, Joanne, it was a pretty great race. I'm not going to spoil it for I anybody. I forgot to DVR on, that one. I think I DVR'd the repeat. I think I just forgot to re- DVR that one though. Yeah, I heard. I read. I read a little. Read a few spoilers. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not going to release any spoilers, but needless to say, if you have access to that, please take a look. The only thing I will say is I saw a really high-quality still of when a seagull hit one of the bikes, and that was just gnarly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Seagull did not make it. (laughs) 
Fortunately, nothing happened to the rider. Um, it bounced off the motorcycle, actually, but uh, ugh, it's just gross. Mm. Well, I don't... I, I, I got nothing. Um, just a very weird week. I thought it was something else that happened to me earlier this week that I forgot to mention. That was just another bummer. I'm like, I'm just on a roll. I mean, these are all first world problems, by the way. Oh, I lost my fancy motorcycle GPS mount. Oh, poor me. You know, family problems are really the thing that's like really bugging me down. Um, because I'm like excited to go to California, but I'm really bummed to go. I'm really bummed to have to go there. Mm -hmm. I just kind of don't want to go there, but I'm at the same time looking forward to going there. At least to see, you know, his family. So that's a good thing. But, um,. Yeah, damn, if it wasn't so last minute, I could... It was very... I like yeah, clearly, I could have coordinated uh, a visit. Well, anytime you want to drive up to Oxnard this week, we'll, you know, we'll be yeah, there. Yeah, I wish I could. I've got my own host of uh, <laughs> of uh, work as well as some other um, private stuff to deal with this weekend. So, So we will... Come back to you in a couple of weeks. Hopefully, we'll have some more happy, exciting news, more thrilling stories, and updates. Um, hopefully, I'll be riding again because the weather's not quite miserable yet. It's only 40 today, and then I think tomorrow and the rest of the week it's 75. So it's like the one day I choose to go riding, it's freezing, and then the weather's gonna bump, bump back up again. Yeah, it rained here. today. It rained a little bit here too. I'm like, what is this weird weather we're having? It's very strange here. The Philly weather is very unpredictable. I'm totally fine with it not returning to 105 here. <laughs> yes, that's what Ready I heard. Ready to see some fall, some quote-unquote oh, fall action. It's too bad. Here. You should have been on the ride today. It was like red leaves and the yellow leaves are out. All the leaves are blowing. and it's I think, I think totally I've got fall. enough riding in the last two weeks that I can take <laughs> I a little bit of a break. <laughs> I know. That and I think having to go to work for probably 10 hours a day this week is... Oh, good. I remembered my other first world problem really quick. Uh -huh. I spilled soda on my laptop. Uh <laughs> Guess, not like a full gallon of it, but I'd say a good Thankfully, a good half a cup of soda you have spilled. You potential to drink a gallon of soda. Or, you scary. know, it's like I didn't like drop it in the toilet, but uh, I had uh, I had a good, good, good chunk of soda fall into the back vent on toward the motherboard to where... The computer Ooh. shut off. Oh. And so I quickly ran over to our IT hero's desk and grabbed the laptop tools. I opened up the back of my computer. I blotted it dry. And then I went into the bathroom and turned the Dyson fan on and basically let it blow air onto, it's cold air, onto the computer, like onto the motherboard to dry any liquid. I thought, okay, if I could at least dry it out. Maybe it'll come back to life. And as soon as it dried, it turned right back on itself. Huh. So, so it's a safety feature. I don't know. Maybe it has a sensor. So as soon as it came back up, it was good. And I haven't had any problems with it. That was four days ago. And nice. I backed it up when I got home. And I've been using it. And it's fine. So for a minute there, I thought I was going to be down more more technology but so far so good so if you ever spill stuff on your drink on your computer blot it dry take everything off and then get a blow dryer and blast cold air on it cold air and get all that liquid out there but so far 
working. <laughs> Hopefully there will be another show in two weeks. Yes. Until then, please visit us at motorific.com. Visit us on Facebook at the Motorific Podcast. Find us on Twitter as ABV Goddess and Gearchick and on the interwebs. We hope you will have a fantastic two weeks and we will talk to you later. Yeah, and check out our show notes because that's going to have photos from Amexpo on them. Maybe some Morocco photos later? Huh? Uh, Maybe. We'll see. Right. We'll see. I have yet to post <laughs> Morocco photos to Instagram. I will do that and I will mm-hmm. keep you guys posted when that stuff starts so you can start checking Instagram. Adios. Bye.